Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of F and I Rap Chat. Number 50. Number 50. That's that's a milestone worth acknowledging. Uh, wow, yeah, 50 episodes. That is a lot. Um, so they, today we have Heather Mills, um, uh, an animation producer based in the west of Ireland. Uh, she works as a lecturer now in GMIT. Uh, a good friend of mine going back years, so... Uh, I still think it's a good chat. <laughs> it's a very good chat. Um, she talks about uh, a lot of really good advice for anyone who wants to produce um, animation. She's kind of done it all. She's done 2D, CGI, um, stop motion. Uh, and she's done everything from uh, cartoon TV shows to uh, features. So she's hugely experienced um, and uh, very wise and very and it's a very insightful conversation so we hope you enjoy it Adam Ellis thanks very much for coming in um, could you tell me a little bit about what you do now absolutely I have literally just started um, teaching animation and film at GMIT I'm in my third week Um, it's my first time lecturing Um, it's really exciting for me Um, I was very fortunate um, to be able to I, I applied for a role to teach on the animation course and then they actually had some modules on the film courses as well um, that they felt I was suitable for so I've ended up teaching on on both of those. Um, Before I started this new endeavour I was on maternity leave for nine months. I have a baby daughter, Lois, and um, I had previously been working for Telegale in Spiddle as an animation producer. Cool. Um, Can we go back to the start of what got you interested in film where you were like a massive film nerd as a kid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, in fact, the reason I decided to go back to college and study film is because I fancied myself as a film critic. Right. Um, I um, I was one of those annoying people that always wanted to go for, uh, you know, uh, to the, a cafe or something after a film and dissect it and take it apart and talk about themes and, uh, you know, symbolism. <laughs> Not when I was a kid, but, you know, but when I was a bit older. Um, so I fancied myself as a film critic. So initially I thought, OK, I'll get into journalism. But I realised that you couldn't just be a film critic if you studied journalism. You couldn't just say, right, that's all I want to write about is films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is all I wanted to do. Okay. So instead I thought, okay, maybe I'll get involved in the film industry instead. And that, that started my foray into film and television. And before that, you kind of worked managing and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's right. I, when, I, when I came out of school, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Actually, no, that's a lie. I thought I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Sorry, it's really funny to me now. <laughs> um, um, because I was terrible, um, absolutely brutal, as I think you have witnessed for yourself in various um, short films. graduate no, films. No, I'm pretty bad. Um, I I think I thought I thought I was good at acting, but I realised that I had no idea what my face was doing. I thought my (laughs) face was doing one thing, but it was doing something very, very different. And um, so I did. I studied drama for a couple of years. Um, Fortunately, before I finished the course, realised I was no good. (laughs) Um, So because I didn't know what to do, I just I just went and got a job in a shop in retail. Did that for a few years. Actually, really enjoyed it. Believe it or not, Um, I worked for a shoe shop company for a long time and actually had loads of fun. Were there any transferable skills? Oh, absolutely. for production, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the training on the job was actually really good. They had a, um, a lot of focus on customer service, obviously, but there was also a lot of focus on, on just managing people and managing a team, and that was massively transferable to production, yeah. Yeah. and I think it did me a lot of good. Um, and I did, I did that for about six years. Yeah. Um, 
Did you uh, manage a shop on O'Connell Street? I did. Yeah. I managed. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't the the store manager. I was assistant manager yeah. um, for shoe on O'Connell Street for a few years. Um, that was insane, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was loads. Of fun. I was twenty two. Right. Um, no, sorry. Hang on. I was nineteen when I first moved to Dublin. Right. And, and was working as an assistant manager, and I had more money than I knew what to do with. Yeah. yeah. Um, because you know it was. It was an average salary, but yeah. I was 19. What was I going to do with it? Yeah, yeah. So and rent know, wasn't crazy then. Well, it wasn't. It still wasn't. Uh, right. It was still pretty bad, but yeah. I had no other, like, um, outgoings. Yeah. So all my money went on drink, obviously. <laughs> so <laughs> me and my fellow colleagues and staff would go out quite a lot, and I had absolute blast yeah. in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I I do think it's a young person's city, especially if you're working right in the middle of the city. And yeah. I was ready for a change when I was 22. I was exhausted. I was <laughs> drinking too much and going out too so much. You needed to come to Galway. Yeah, I, I it was the twofold thing. I, I decided I wanted to go to college to study film and television. Yeah. I'd heard there was a good course at GMIT. And there also happened to be a store manager job coming up in, yeah. in the Galway store, in the Galway branch. So I applied for that did that for a few months yeah. and then left and went to college and then I stayed in Galway ever since like like most people that come to Galway they tend to stay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or always come back end up coming back yeah yeah uh, and the course uh, like it was what was your favourite aspect of, of the course well when I first started the course I was I dug my heels in about uh, very very quickly couple of the lecturers were like oh you're going to be really good at production obviously yeah. you're going to be and I was like no I don't want to do production I've been a manager for yeah. six seven years you know I feel like I'd done that yeah. sort of thing already so you know like most people I was like I want to be a director or mm. uh, you know then I kind of compromised I was like I'll be a first AD because that's sort of yeah. still production yeah but it's on set it's more hands-on and yeah. then and eventually I just rolled over and was like, yeah, I'm clearly good at production, so maybe that's what I should do. Right. Um, but, I re- I mean, there's a lot of satisfaction in doing what you're good at, you know? Yeah. So I stopped sort of stomping my feet and was like, yeah, okay, I'll be a producer. <laughs> but you, like, so you wrote a script around that time when you finished college, got a director, so you were still doing the kind of creative producing thing. It was part of it was I think it was part of the script um, specialization, and I wrote it as part of the course. And one of the other guys on the course, Barry, um, who's a really good director and and writer as well, um, he just really loved the idea and he was mad to get his hands on it. Yeah. Um, so then when I finished, co- I I got student of the year. Yeah, and they, you did. They <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me an award, which was um, basically. Uh, I could hire all the gear that I wanted to make a film, yeah. which is great, obviously. Yeah. And me and Barry put quite a lot of our own money into making right. um, a film. <laughs> you know, they say never work with children and animals. Um, you had like what, ten children, or something. Yeah, and it wasn't the children's fault; they were all brilliant. Yeah. But we just didn't know what we were doing. We did not have the resources. You had uh, a scaffolding set. Oh, it was. It was so overly ambitious. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, You had, like, 20 kids under the age of 14. Yeah. A lot of them were under 10. Yeah. Um, The idea, roughly... um, It was about kids being left, being lost. Yeah. And, like, left in a lost and found. It was set in the future. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can see we were not exactly working within the restraints of budget. Exactly, if your students were trying to do this now. Exactly, I know, I'd be like, are you mad? Um, (laughs) Yeah, we're set in a kind of post-apocalyptic future (laughs) where kids were um, kind of abandoned and they were put in these like lost and found areas along with you know piles of specks and umbrellas and all this kind of stuff and they're just put on shelves and a tag is put on their toe but the kids don't really they think they've been accidentally left behind they don't realize that their parents have actually abandoned them and uh, (laughs) and it's about one one kid who's new to the last and found sort yeah. of real the other kids are sort of real like some of them are trying to protect him because he's young yeah. Yeah. from the reality and then a couple of them are basically saying no come on wake up you yeah. were not lost accidentally yeah, you've yeah. been 
you know, abandoned. Yeah, kind of the last boy's vibe. Yeah, yeah, and it's how he realises. So there's a few factors there. So firstly, yeah, we had a scaffolding set. We were shooting about 20 feet up with <laughs> 20 kids under the age of 14, right? And the, the lost property, we spent months collecting. Yeah. Like hundreds of spectacles, umbrellas, suitcases, um, like just, I mean, it was just ridiculous, yeah, you know, yeah. but we had a crew of like five people and <laughs> no money and it was just, yeah, I mean, it was ridiculously ambitious. Yeah. Um, I still think it was a good script on paper, but yeah. I, I kind of wish I'd waited till I had maybe a bit more, um, gumption to realise that I could have maybe gone and tried to get some funding, funding. some real funding from the yeah. film board or something like that. Yeah, big lesson to learn. Oh, yeah, I mean, we had great fun doing yeah. it. Yeah. And it's amazing what you can do with no money. I mean, yeah. we fed all the crew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I say we put a lot of our money in, like, I don't mind telling you, it was two grand. Yeah, but general, it was a lot. Which was a lot you, of the yeah. time. Yeah. That's not a lot of money yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Make a film. to make a film. Like I mean, that's that. a no-budget film, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, we had the gear, obviously, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of fun. We, you know, we got the location for nothing. We got the scaffolding yeah. for yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had a lot of fun doing it, but I can't watch it now. Yeah, right, okay. And it's one of those things you don't really want to wait sometimes, you know, no. like to go through that the funding takes, we'll come to that. Mm. <laughs> but that can take so long. And especially, I think, at that stage when you're out of college, you have all these skills, you have these resources, and you have people who are hungry to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of... I think there's a bit of a there's a bit of a if you build it they will come kind of attitude to it you know film reference (laughs) Uh, but yeah you know you kind of sometimes you think oh if I if I want it bad enough you know we can do it and of course that's true but you have to cut your cloth accordingly and the script was too ambitious Mm. for no budget you can make you can make great things with no budget yeah um, but this wasn't it (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. you know so then. You got work pretty like in production fairly quickly. I was very lucky. Yeah. I, I got work before graduation. I was wow. yeah, I was very lucky. Well I say lucky, I was kind of a bit baffled that not one other person from our class applied for the job. And I mm. made sure people knew about it. So I don't know. People probably had a different idea about what they wanted to do. Um yeah. because it was a job in animation, so maybe that was a part of it. Mm. But um it was a local company in Galway, um called Magma Films, um, who made live action and animation. Yeah. Um, but they were specifically looking for a production assistant in animation. And I wasn't 100% sure that I'd be able to work in animation, but I kind of assumed rightly, as it, as it happens, that, you know, production for animation, it's not that different from production for live action. Yeah. All the same principles apply. Yeah. So I applied for the job and then got shortlisted and went for an interview and was really shocked when I got the job. Right. I know quite a lot of people applied for it, although, yeah. as I say, none from our past. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I started there in June 2007. So and I, at the time, it was a very busy animation house, basically, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was... It, it was At the time, it was based on Merchants Road, and um, I started on a 2D traditional animation series called Sim Grim, which was, um, like... A fairy tale story starring two characters who would kind of they kind of insert themselves into fairy tales like Quantum Leap but with cartoons. <laughs> they, Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, no comment. <laughs> um, no. In all fa- in, in in all seriousness, it was a really good thing to start on yeah. because it was kind of disastrous. Right. Like e- even during the time we were all aware. Me and the producer I was working with, um, we were all aware that the, it, the problems on that production, I mean, it was like the Don Quixote of cartoons. It was like everything that could go wrong went wrong. Right. But it was a brilliant learning experience. Yeah. Um, one of the things that made it so difficult was all the animation itself was being outsourced and was being done in Hong Kong. Wow. So straight away there was a language barrier. Time difference as well. Uh, yeah, time difference, language barrier. Um, the co-producers we were working with, French co-producers, um, were supposed to have a supervisor of their own out there. But we discovered that, that they didn't have their own supervisor out there. So there was just this huge gap in communication. Okay. Um, and what's great about animation is it's it, it 
it can be outsourced very successfully um, and there are ways of doing it. Yeah. But the problem is if anything isn't right, if anything does go wrong, that's when it starts to fall apart if there is if there's a communication barrier. And okay. That project just... I mean, we just, and the broadcasters would never agree. Yeah. Um, that was a big part of my job was managing broadcasters' comments. Okay. So I would get the French broadcasters' comments. I'd get the German broadcasters' comments. Yes. And then I had to look at them and see where they clashed. And yeah. then I would have to try and negotiate with them yeah, about yeah. what we would change or wouldn't change um, to keep them happy. It was it was brilliant experience. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant experience. Uh, yeah, I returned for notes, like... like Production notes can be a carousel of contradictions. Yes. You're getting different voices. And going, like, so going from that, like, did you, were you able to kind of implement lessons that you learned in terms of how do you, how do you fix those problems with communication? Absolutely. Um, Every project I've ever worked on until now involved multiple countries, multiple languages and multiple producers. Yeah. And you very, very quickly learn how important, clear, concise, kind of universal communication is. And you really learn to um, kind of readdress the way you write emails and the way you speak even, uh, to be clear. And there's no harm in doing that, even if you're speaking to someone who speaks the same language as you, especially when it comes to creative, but also technical processes. So. That taught me really early on to be careful about using slang and turns of phrase and being aware of kind of cultural differences and tone. Um, That what we think sounds a certain way in tone is not necessarily rude or is not, you know, not necessarily being polite or, you know, you, you get to just, you learn to be as clear and straight as possible and I'd often have to revise my emails and realise, okay, that's slang. That's yeah. that's kind of a turn of phrase that won't make any sense. Yeah. You know, um, and just to stick to the basics, stick to the facts. Okay. And it and it was a good lesson for, for all for right. all kind of jobs I've had yeah. since. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I mean, co productions are so important now. Were there any other lessons you learned on how to kind of manage because you would have worked with French companies, Swedish mm. companies? Yeah, for um, a lot of French companies, a lot of German companies, a lot of Danish companies, mm. work with Estonian, Finnish, Icelandic. Um, yeah, that covers, that's most, and, and Chinese companies, Indian right. companies as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you, um, sorry, what was the question? Uh, yeah, was <laughs> any other kind of potential pitfalls for people who are working in those kind of co-productions that you kind of encountered? Yeah, I was often the person on the full co-production who was responsible for the main communication. So right. um, I was production manager a lot of the time. And yeah. so I was often the key um, kind of liaison, if you like, between the main producers and kind of everybody else. Okay. Um, so I had to, you learn to, what's the word I'm looking for? You do a little bit of um, paraphrasing yeah. on people's behalf sometimes for the sake of, um, diplomacy yeah. and the sake of um, you know just saving arguments so right. it, I was offered the person that someone could kind of give out to right. and, and get really really mad at about something yeah. and then I could kind of take out all the important information <laughs> yeah. from that exchange yeah. and pass that on and it was it was good, you're a filter you, you don't need to take it personally, it's not at you yeah. it maybe is towards some other and we, uh, you know that's a big part of co-production is giving out about the other co-producers yeah. um, but you need to be able to, to get on you need to be able to just cut to the the, the you know the brass tacks if you like yeah. and stuff so that that was a big part of what I did um, and so you mentioned like pretty much a lot of the similarities with animation and kind of live action was there any is there any kind of things that are different for anyone who's kind of getting into animation that they have to be aware of. maybe if they do come from more of a film background oh absolutely um i realize now that actually i'm much more suited to animation production right. than, than live action film production i think it was lucky i don't believe in fate but, yeah. but I, I do think i was very fortunate that my first job was in animation production yeah. because um it, it suits my temperament more okay um the 
basics of production um, are quite similar, but the big differences are, I would say, speed and volume. Right. <laughs> as yeah. in, as in, l- loudness. Um, so, <laughs> live action shooting is obviously much faster yeah. than animation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that kind of goes without saying. But even just the way your day to day, the yeah. way things are managed. Um, in, in live action, there is, there is once you go into production anyway, yeah. there's no time to go back to the drawing board. There's no time yeah. to say, oh, well, let's have a meeting about this. And, you know, time literally is money. Yeah. Animation, the same is true, but there is a lot more. You're able to plan a lot more meticulously for animation. Yeah. You don't have to worry about being rained off, for example, right. and have a plan B, that kind of thing. So yeah. animation is a lot more kind of slow and steady wins the race, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have a little bit more time to react to yeah. things. The other thing is that animation generally is a lot quieter. Right. So um, I've worked on 2D productions, I've worked on CG productions, and I've worked on stop-motion productions. Yeah. Um, there's no need for anyone to run, and there's no need for anyone to shout. Right. Now, one could argue that the same should be true of live action. Um, I, mm. you know, One of the things I remember as being taught at college was if you... A shouting yeah. on a film set that you've already lost control. Yeah. And I do think that's true. Yeah. However, if anyone can tell me of ever having been on a set where yeah. nobody has shouted, I, yeah, I'd be very interested yeah. Yeah, to yeah, hear about that. Um, because there is a sense of urgency. Yeah. And it's a very different kind of sense of urgency. Um, so I think I discovered that animation really suited me because I'm very methodical. Yeah. I like to plan yeah. and I like to kind of plot things out and... Uh, I enjoy doing schedules. I yeah. enjoy doing yeah, budgets. Yeah, yeah. I like the maths of it. Yeah. Animation's a lot more predictable. Yeah. Um, you calculate how many seconds of animation you need to do. You calculate how many animators you can afford. You you know, yeah. it is literally a um, a formula yeah. for how long it's gonna take. Yeah. Of course there are factors yeah. that impact on the speed, but it's a lot more predictable than live action. Right. Um where there are so many more variables. Yeah. And I don't think my anxiety <laughs> could have coped. Yeah. Um, I did do, I did do, I was on live action sets. I, yeah. did, I did lots of trainee gigs and yeah. Um, yeah. assistant gigs like that. And uh, yeah, I spent most of the time shaking. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Terrified. It's intense. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. yeah. So with animation, it's just a bit more calmer. Yeah, obviously I'm biased. I'm sort of making out that animation is better than live action there. But I'll give you you an example also of um, a colleague of mine when I was um, in Telekill. I was was kind of in charge of animation. Mm. And a colleague of mine was in charge of live action. And um, she was helping me out one day um, doing some of the stop motion work (laughs) about 30 minutes in. I'm not exaggerating, about 30 minutes in. She was like... Oh my God, I'm so bored. How can you even cope <laughs> with how slow everything is? Right. Like she was really missing her live action, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Because and that's the thing, you see, people like I know lots of people who work in live action and they absolutely thrive in that environment yeah. and that's that's why they do it. Yeah. They love that seat of your pants kind of aspect to it, having to react quickly and troubleshoot and the excitement of it all and that is brilliant. If you are the right person, you, then then that is brilliant. And as I say, <laughs> my colleague was about to lose her mind <laughs> with how slow everything was, you know. <laughs> she couldn't cope. Yeah. And the there's always a gap between the creative and the funding and the pr- producers and where the money comes from. That must be so much more pronounced in animation. Um, and in what way do you mean? Sorry, just like just I mean the the understanding of like is there a lot of managing expectations? Is it? I mean, because animation to me is very alien. I wouldn't know. Like if you're not working it, if you're not. used to being in that environment um it's kind of ephemeral it's kind of you know so do you do you mean that a lot of the the funding that we might be applying for is kind of geared towards live action and then uh, no no like is there just is is there a bit more of your job is that part of your job kind of bridging that gap between so letting the animators do their work but also you know is there or maybe is it that there is an understanding of people who are working in animation of how slow it is and, you know, all those constraints or, is you know, do you have to kind of... 
Um, yeah, it's uh, in terms of budget and funding and the impact on production, it's very different um, because uh, the length of time things take. So um, feature films I've worked on, you could be in animation for a year, 18 months, stop motion, um, definitely a year, sometimes yeah. 18 months as yeah. well. And so um, you're not paying the animators the same kind of rates as you would be on a live action shoot. It's not possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the budgets for animation already have to be um, much higher. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to compare like for like yeah. when you're comparing live action and animation. Um, but, you know, you can make a live action feature for a million. Obviously, it'd have to be a very particular type of yeah. feature. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. Yeah. I'd, I'm not sure what animation feature you could make right. for, for a million. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the amount of time it takes. Yeah. So you are paying people for a much longer extended period. Yeah. So on an animation film, for example, the animators would be getting a weekly rate yeah. um, that would be roughly half what... Um, maybe an equivalent crew member would get on a live action okay. shoot. However, they're getting that for a year, eighteen yeah. months, okay. in one location in yeah. a subtle place. You know, there's yeah, there's yeah. certain pros and cons. Yeah. Also, they they're not doing twelve hour days. They're they're doing normal yeah. eight or nine hour days. You right. know, with yeah, a yeah. you know with a lunch break yeah, and yeah. you know because and no one's shouting at them. No, no one shouting at them. Well, they shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard animators shout at the puppets, but that's okay. <laughs> I really have. I've, I've, I've heard the worst things shouted at a puppet that was based on a, like, two-year-old cave girl. I mean, just terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, th so there's a big difference. And it, personally, it was also another appeal for me for working animation. Um Oh, my weekly rate would be a lot lower than my friends who right. were working in live action gigs. Yeah. But I was working every week of the year. Yeah. And they might be only working for 12, 20, 30 weeks of the year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know which I prefer, especially now I have a child. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so um, there, there's, you know, there can be. Yeah. I mean, there are very lucky people out there yeah. that work gig to gig yeah. and get, you know, uh, line up at least six months of work in live action and they, they can earn a lot of good money but it's a very temperamental industry yeah. um, and it tends to be feast or famine and you can only work on one gig at once Yeah. Um, so does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like I yeah, kind yeah. of went a little bit around the house no, no, there. Um, yeah. Could you tell me a bit about some of the big projects that you did kind of mm. during the magma years um, so like Nico <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, I should say, I should say actually, Magma Films, um, Magma Films isn't there anymore. Mm. But um, the producer I worked with, Mohon, and now has her own company, Motion yes. Films, um, based in in Galway, and and she is still producing animation. Yeah. And actually, um, she most recently produced a film called um, Two by Two, which did really well in cinemas a few years ago. Okay. Um, so um, yeah, when I was working for Magma Films, they did live action and animation. Mm. And I worked on a couple of CGI films. Um, when I started working for them, like on the same Salah Grimm project, they didn't actually do any animation in-house. Okay. And then one day, my boss turned around to me and said, okay, we're doing this feature film and we're doing the animation in-house and you're going to be the production manager. And I had never managed animators before. Okay. I didn't know anything about CGI animation. Yeah. And to say it was a steep learning curve is a massive understatement. Yeah. I mean, I had to order equipment, work out tech specs for a 3D CGI kind of software. And I, did, I, I, wow. I was Googling things as I was going. Um, I remember being on Skype calls with the other production managers um, in Finland and Germany, and they'd be using jargon, and I would literally be Googling it as we were talking All because right. I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really scary. Wow. Um, and then these animators turned up, and I'm their production manager, and I was, yeah, I had to kind of wing it quite a bit. Yeah. But we got on very well, and, um, yeah, I, I got up to speed as quickly as I could, and that was for um, that was for a feature film. Okay. And then, so, you must have learned a lot then going into sort of other projects like Nico. 
that oh, was yeah. a big success, right? I'm, I mean, um, I kind of came in at the tail end of the first Nico film, Nico yeah. and the Way to the Stars. Christmas reindeer movie? Yes, right? yeah. absolutely. Um, but then by the time they were doing the sequel, Nico 2, I was a production manager by then. Yeah. I'd just come off Thor, as you say, learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. And that production was fantastic. Right. And that film did really, really well. Yeah. Um, Good script, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Great script uh, written by uh, a Galway local, actually, Icelandic guy, Martin Tarrison, right. um, who lives in Galway. Yeah. And uh, writes a lot for, for various companies. And um, he wrote the script and it was also there was a lot of dialogue polished on by a guy called Paul Tylak who does a lot of voice acting yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Dublin based actor and yeah the script was so adding jokes and that kind of thing yeah and actually sorry I should say I better get this right um, I think there's also quite a bit of polish done by um, Mark Hodkinson um, who's another really good writer yeah. um, but the story is by Martin Tarrison yeah. and yeah great script really nice script Lovely story. Um, the first film was about Nico trying to find his dad, who he dis- who he was told was one of Santa's reindeer. Yeah. So he goes to find him. Yeah. And also the kind of subplot is that if his dad is one of Santa's reindeer, he should be able to fly, but he hasn't yet, you know, found found right. the way to fly. Yeah. And then the second film, it's all very modern. His mum gets a new boyfriend. <laughs> who has a son, Johnny, so, yeah. you know, blended family and all that. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he doesn't like Johnny. Yeah. Only because, I mean, Johnny's insanely cute, little right. reindeer. Yeah. But he doesn't like him because there's a lot of, she's not your mum, she's my mum yeah, kind yeah. of vibe going on. Um, yeah. But then Johnny gets into trouble and Nico has to save him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that was, I mean, night and day in terms yeah. of the way the production was run. Right. Um, anima is the name of the company that kind of owned the property and were the main producers um, in Finland. Um, yeah, they're great. Very, yeah. very professional, really good communicators. Um, very much felt like a three-way production. Everybody playing to their strengths. A lot of the animation was done in Ireland. Yeah. We did all the voice recording. Um, the music was done by Stephen McKeown, who's a Dublin-based uh, composer. Um, so there's a lot of... Um, it, there's a real... There is it's very much a co-production you can yeah. the the, the humour in there you, yeah. you can hear the kind of okay. bit of the Irish humour and things like that in yeah. it. and the animation is is gorgeous Yeah, it's gorgeous I mean that's something I was really proud of with the film as well is whenever I've showed that to someone and I would tell them I can't remember for sure how much the budget was but it it, it might have been 8 it might have been 10 mm. somewhere yeah. in around there Yeah, and when I show people that film and the quality of the animation, yeah. Yeah. and tell them that the budget was ten million euro or less, and that Pixar films are around two hundred million dollars in comparison. Yeah, it's really hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the quality is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's really, really gorgeous. So yeah. Could you tell me a bit about voice voice talent? Um, how you how you kind of manage that? How you find the best people to work? And then is there a bit of a friction with like you know do we get do we try and get big names mm. and that kind of thing it's actually one of my favorite things about animation is voice acting and yeah. voice talent and um, something i think a lot of people believe is that voice acting must be like a cushy job if you can mm. get it like you'd be amazed how many people say to me oh do you know what i'd love to be a voice actor i think uh, i might give it a try yeah um and i don't think people appreciate that not only do you have to be a really good actor it, it is a skill in itself. Yeah. If you're a good screen actor, you're not necessarily going to be a good voice actor and vice yeah. versa. Um, there are definite, there's a definite skill set involved in being a voice actor and it is not the same as being a screen actor. Right. Um, but it is, as I say, one of my favourite things is um, I often was, um, I started out, I sort of snuck into the casting role yeah, yeah. and then by the time I was at Telegirl, I, I, I don't know why, but people, like I actually then was made casting director on a couple of films. Yeah. And it was great because I just got to pick all my right. favourite people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and would you have an ear or an eye? I'm not sure how, but yeah. like say, would you be able to spot an actor and go, I think he could be a good voice actor? I like to think so. Yeah. Um, what are you looking but for? But I'd always have a listen. That's yeah. the thing. Okay. And, and and to be honest, um, it, most of the time, I, I pick someone who, who has voice acting experience. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing uh, is is that 
not just is, is voice acting different from screen acting, but doing the voiceover for an advert is very different to voice acting for an animation. Yeah. Um, and most of the time I'd be looking for someone who um, has good comic timing yeah. and can really kind of bring life to a role with just their voice. Because some screen actors are fantastic and they might have great voices, but you might not realise how much of their acting is done with their facial expressions yeah. and their body language and things like that. Yeah. Um, voice actors, everything has to come out in their voice. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah. And it can be a really tricky job, job and really nuanced. Yeah. It's actually a really intensive job as well mm. because on on a, on a set, um, which, don't get me wrong, that's also an intensive job, but... Um, there'd be gaps, there'd be breaks, you know, whereas yeah. generally for, for voice recording, for animation, we get them into a booth one at a time yeah. and we record everything right? Um, in a day if we can, maybe two days, three days. Yeah. Um, and so they are standing in front of a mic and they're recording an entire script wow. and it's really intensive yeah. physically, emotionally, mentally and on the voice as well and they yeah. have to really really look after their voice and they're on their own and they're not bouncing off anyone else usually yeah, yeah. I think um, that's another common misconception because there's a lot of big animation films that show making of behind yeah. the scenes yeah. um, bits where there's like a big radio play and everyone's on stage yeah. um, which um, they probably I would imagine they do usually for rehearsal yeah. um, they might get some takes from that yeah but as you know, working in radio, if you record everybody in the same room with yeah. a radio play, you're not going to get anything clean. No. And you've got no separation. Yeah. Um, so it's impossible to edit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you have to get everybody yeah. individually. Um, that's not to say there have been times when we would get maybe two characters that do a lot together. Right, okay. Might get them in together or in two booths, yeah. you know, yeah. bouncing off each other yeah. for the separation because, it's, because it might be especially important. And as a skill, like that, for a director in animation the, to direct, that is that often you know something that might be lacking or that skill, or do sometimes you bring in a director to direct the I, voice? I've um, yeah, I've actually never worked on a project where there wasn't a separate voice director. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's so that's a thing. It's a different skill, different ear. Yeah, the director would always be there as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mm, there's a few reasons. Um, oftentimes it would be a co-production yeah. where the main director, maybe their first language isn't the same, isn't English. Yeah. And we always record, the, the international version is always English. Okay. Um, even in, in Europe, the international version is always considered the English version. It's always done first. Okay. Um, so for that reason, your voice director, their first language would be English. Yeah. Um, but then the um, the main director would be there as well. Okay. Um, but it is a different skill as well. It's yeah. um, it's an understanding of how it's going to sound and look with the final picture, um, because we record the voices before the animation, which is another thing I think a lot of people don't realise, is that it's very unusual to do it to deliberately do it afterwards, mm. um, and that's because the animators use those performances. They animate to the voices, to the performances. Um, and they often don't just use the sound of the performance. We we often would film the actors recording the voices yeah. and the animators would use that for a reference okay. as well to okay. help with the animation. Yeah. Um, because good voice actors usually are physically acting as well yeah. because it makes it more authentic sounding yeah. if you're doing what you're doing yeah. when, you're, when, you're, when you're delivering the voice. Yeah. Um, so... Um, what was my point then? Sorry, I've just lost track. Uh, uh, directing them. Oh, directing, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, and also they're probably doing, at that level, they're of, of, often doing a lot of different characters, so they need a director to kind of help them focus. It's true. It depends on the project and it depends on the budget. So right. for long-form series, you yeah. usually have actors doing lots of different voices, yeah. and that would be a big part of why you would employ them. Yeah. So that's another good quality of a voice actor is if they're able to do different accents and things, but actually more importantly is being able to sound bigger and smaller yeah. or older and younger. Yeah. Um, again, it might not be something that a, that a screen, a solely screen actor would, would maybe be able to do. Yeah. Um, like, like I say, sound bigger and smaller. I mean, 
the animated characters all have very, very different physical presences. So if you have an actor that can actually sound like they're bigger yeah. and or older yeah. or you know um so uh, you know or someone who can sound particularly young or small um that's a real skill in itself yeah. um there's a few types of actors who could cover lots of different characters yeah and they're always very employable and then there's the other ones that can only do a few very specific ones but right. they're but they're the only ones that could do them okay yeah, so yeah. Guys who can do young voices yeah. are worth their weight in gold, right. yeah. because they are very rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is why so often in famously, obviously, like The Simpsons, mm. you know, Bart yeah. is played by Nancy Cartwright, yeah. um, because her voice, it, she can sound like a boy more yeah. than a man can sound like a boy, yeah. and you can't get a boy to do it because yeah. how long has The Simpsons been going? Twenty-seven 20, years. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd have to replace him every few yeah. years, you know. Um, but for Nico. Did you use actual kids? We we did. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the thing. For a series, mm. you're not you obviously you want to have good production values for a series, but it's yeah. not going to have the same production values as a feature. Yeah. So there's different considerations. So on a feature, you can get away with you know an adult doing a younger voice yeah. if it's for a bit part of a character in a fairy tale. But for a, for a whole feature, you're not going to have yeah. a grown up or even a woman mm. do the younger voice. You mm. want it to be as authentic as possible. So for Nico one, yeah. there was one actor. Yeah. And forgive me, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nico one, we had one actor, and for Nico two, we had to recast because he was in his teenage right. years by yeah. the time we got to the yeah. sequel. And that's actually it's a big issue yeah. with animation because of how long production takes. Right. You have to really think about the age of if you if it's a boy, you have yeah. to think about their age because yeah. you might be wanting to do pickups in a year or two years time. And yeah. I've just literally we I've just had that situation on a film where we couldn't do the pickups. Wow, with the main so character the voice had broke. Yeah, which was Captain Morton. Right. Yeah. Uh, the stop motion. Yeah, we couldn't do pickups with him because yeah, he wow. was he was like fourteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which brings me nicely to the stop motion um mm. so how that all came out so you were in the stop motion solely stop motion studio right yeah, that's right yeah um i was approached which was nice yeah. um the telegill had um been talking to a uh, production company calon and their producer robin lyons um about potentially co-producing a stop motion series calon had made the first series already but they couldn't get the funding or the space to make the second series. Okay. So they approached Telegale, and Telegale believed that they would be able to get the funding in order to make it in Ireland with uh, Carlin as co-producer. And this entailed basically creating a stop-motion studio from nowhere, um, which is great. I mean, it was so ambitious on their part. I mean, Telegale already do like documentary live action yeah. series live action features and i and they do 2d design 3d design and i think it was the case of uh yeah. paul cummins who is the ceo going okay well we haven't tried that yet yeah, <laughs> so yeah. let's try it yeah. it's great it's a great yeah. attitude it's like why why not yeah so um i got a call from a producer siobhan nagaira who said yeah do you want to be a line producer on a stop motion series and I said, I have absolutely no experience in stop motion. And she said, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> so let's have a go. So yeah. I was like, okay, why not? Yeah. And I thought, well, I've done 2D, I've done 3D. And that sounds like a lot of fun. So I found myself in a half refurbished warehouse out in Kassler, in Connemara, with no Wi-Fi, no power, no phones, <laughs> being told that we were shooting in like three weeks time and I was like you've got to be kidding me yeah. and also having no experience in stop motion but fortunately the director was the same director from the first series the producer was okay. the same producer for the first series okay. so at least we had a little bit of um, of direction yeah. um, and and the director Ben Halliwell was very good giving me a crash course <laughs> and everything but it was kind of mad it, it yeah. was it was it was funny because it was so mad you kind of couldn't get stressed about it because <laughs> it was like well i've just been dropped right yeah. in the middle of this yeah. and this is so mad like we just got to put our heads down and just get on with it yeah I and mean, we didn't have anything right. like we literally had to like put lights in uh, there were no stairs going up to like the mezzanine level we had to build yeah. stairs we had no like bare floors I think it was an old 
someone told me it was an old um, Transformer factory, yeah. which I got very excited about for the wrong reasons. But um, <laughs> apparently Transformers has something to do with know, electricity or something. But, uh, but yeah, the whole place had clearly been abandoned for a long time. So we you were a building manager for the start of that job? Kind of. I, I That would be... Uh, you know what? That would be taking credit for a lot of things. No, a lot of the work had already been done by okay. Siobhan Nagara, so okay. I yeah. cannot take credit for that. Um, I I just sort of took over at the tail end of, yeah. of it being put in place. Um, but there were still the challenges. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the big part of the challenge was people kind of turning up, and we weren't ready to start shooting. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that is, um, oh, that's like you never. I mean, the worst thing that can happen on an animation shoot is that your animators aren't working. Right. Anybody else, that can happen. Okay. But it's like the biggest... You know something's really gone wrong if your animators are, like, lounging around. Okay. okay. <laughs> they should always be going, right. you know, and it's yeah. everyone else's job to make sure that they're going. You okay, know? okay. Um, but that was only the first couple of weeks. And actually, the resultant series was great. We, we It was called Igamogam. Yeah. Um, which is Welsh for zigzag. It's the name of a little cave girl. Okay. And... It was great fun, and we made an unbelievable about that about amount. Sorry, of animation yeah. in wow. a pretty short space of time. It might not sound like a lot, but we did um, in forty weeks. We did two hundred and sixty minutes of animation, which is really fast right. for animation. For stop really animation, stop motion. Yeah. yeah, we used to shoot um, ten seconds a day per animator. Again, doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually very fast. Ten seconds. A day. Ten seconds a day per animator. We had six animators, okay, okay. so we used to do a minute a day. Yeah, which was five minutes a week, and each episode we had to do eight minutes of animation. So we were doing an episode in a week and a half, which is actually, honestly, it's yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a comparison yeah. on the CGI feature films I was working on. Yeah, um, they were expected to do twelve seconds a week. Wow. Okay. And and our animators on stop motion were doing fifty seconds a week. So, contrary to popular belief, mm. um, stop motion is faster than CGI. Yeah. When you compare like for like. Yeah. And the main reason is that when you shoot stop motion, nearly everything, if not everything, is in camera when you shoot it. Yeah. Whereas CGI, when you've done the animation, it's literally just the animation. Yeah. So your characters might not have any clothes. They might not right. have any hair. Yeah. They, they certainly won't have any lighting yeah. or VFX or your backgrounds might not be in. So yeah. it... It, it's actually much slower yeah. because there's so many additional aspects to the pipeline that have to happen in a linear mm. way. Mm. Whereas stop motion's closer to live action. Yeah. Your actors, your puppets yeah. are dressed, yeah. lit, everything's right. in okay. the camera, you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah. when you've shot it, it's done. Yeah. You okay, know? yeah, yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, so then I just, I got I got very, very into stop motion very quickly and, right. and, I, and now, like, I love stop motion. Right. I I have a particular yeah. vested interest in stop motion and I think it's great to see it's having a little bit of a renaissance, I think. Yeah. Cool. Um, um, which brings me to something that I'm always asking filmmakers about how they think of audience and that must be really important, especially for you, a lot of these are kids' programmes. Mm, mm-hmm. And, like, do you think about this much? I mean, does a kid notice the difference with stop motion or how, how do you think of your audience when you're making kind of kids programs it's a really good question and i think a big part of the reason that stop motion is so popular for kids shows because Mm. that that's where most of it ends up you know i was just watching postman pat this morning with my daughter yeah and um igamogam was aimed at two to four year olds um and i think a big part of it is that stop motion is so tactile right um obviously younger children they're not able to read TV and programming the same way that, that we are. Yeah. It's it shapes and, and colours and, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not reading it, they're not taking it in the same way. Yeah. But I think that, that depth and kind of a tactile quality is really important and I think that very busy kind of 2D or 3D CGI animation for younger children, I think that just ends up being a wash of, right. flat wash of colour. I think it's very confusing. Okay. Whereas I think stop-motion animation... It's more there's a diff, there's a real differentiation yeah. between the characters and the props, yeah. and I think there's a recognisable tactile quality to them. And if if you want to be really cynical about it, I think it's not motion is much easier to merchandise as well because there's your uh-huh. doll, there straight Just on there, your there's prototype. your doll. Yeah, right. it's like you'd be amazed how many people would contact um, Carlon uh, asking about 
a doll, a gamogam doll. Right. Um, and is that a thing as well, kind of an ethical thing for for makers? I mean, did, did Canon, do they want to go? I mean, how much of animation is geared around selling toys? Um, I'll be honest with you, for, for European animations, it's yeah. actually rare enough. Right. I mean, certain companies, certain production companies, certain productions, yeah. um, if you're lucky enough. Um, I don't know how much of this is a hard and fast rule, but mm. from what I've heard mm. from other producers is three series. You have to have three series before anyone will even consider merchandising okay. anyway. Okay. Um, so I think for producers, a lot of the time... It, it, honestly, I think for, for for European producers anyway... Yeah. Um, I honestly don't think it's about the money. I know that sounds silly. I mean, yeah, everybody yeah. wants their company to keep yeah. going yeah. and wants the company to survive. But I think it's kind of a, a badge. It's like yeah. if, if you have a if you've got a property that is so popular that merchandising can be made yeah. off the back of it, it's a real sign of success. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I know some people might be rolling their eyes at that. Like, <laughs> oh, it's not about the money. Of, co- of course, money is important. But yeah. like for you, you know, right, European... Um, programming and films they don't make a lot of profit no you know all we want to do is keep yeah. going yeah, yeah is yeah. keep you know yeah, keep yeah. everybody getting paid and keep going and, and make a living out of it you yeah. know um i don't know any producers who are rolling in it quite the contrary it's very difficult yeah. industry yeah. to make profit from that's not yeah. the model in europe you know so <laughs> cool. um yeah we're coming close to kind of wrapping up but i we always kind of ask a question um, towards the end is there any advice that you wish you got uh, sooner and uh, we like talking a lot as well about um, kind of mental health and working in the industry because it's such a tough industry and how you kind of manage that that's a really good question um, and I'm not sure if I'd got the advice I would have taken it anyway. Right. Yeah, if yeah, that makes yeah, sense. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was going, my instinctive, my the first thing I was going to say was don't take it personally. Right. But that can be very difficult to take that advice. Yeah. I think a lot of the times you do have to kind of go through and out the other side. Sometimes you know you have to get the experience before you can put these things into practice. But that's something I learned the hard way. Was okay. was was don't take it personally. Yeah. I I am actually quite a sensitive person, yeah. um, and that can be very difficult if you're in a position of responsibility, where you have to tell people sometimes things they don't want to hear. Yeah. You have to let people go, tell people there's no money left, or very very difficult. And um, that whole thing about like who guards the guards, sometimes middle management, I think is the toughest place to be because you're actually responsible for everybody below you, which is most of mm. the crew, mm. but you're under a lot of pressure from those above you. Yeah. And it can be one of the most lonely places to be right. because you're the only one who's in that position, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult sometimes not to take it personally. Yeah. It, it's that when, you're, when your crew are really mad and, you know, kicking stuff one day or whatever and they're right. giving out to you, it's not because they don't like you. It's not mm. because they're angry at you. They're angry at the situation. Mm. And it's part of your job is to listen. Right. Is, is to listen and not take it personally. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that would help no, anybody. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's great. <laughs> it might have helped me. Um, thanks so much for coming in. You're very welcome. Cheers. <laughs>